Welcome to episode 14 of How About Them Huskies. I'm Connor with Matt, Andrew, and Matt. And we got an interesting episode today. Episode 14, the first time we're talking about a UConn loss, which I don't think really any of us saw coming. Not the, not the loss, the fact that it would take until January to talk about it. But UConn fell on the road to number 22, Xavier, 83-73. to 73. The game was a little closer than that, 10-point margin, but they still ended up falling in the end. Uh, I'll just I want to hear your guys' thoughts overall. Sark, you want to go first? What went wrong for UConn? Um, so I think the whole free throw discrepancy thing. Obviously, the f- officiating was frustrating, but I think we shot thirty-seven threes. So we shot nine free throws, and two of them came off threes. One of them was like a flop technical or something like that. They just weren't being aggressive enough offensively. Defensively, they were really bad. Eighty-three points is a lot of points. I was not expecting that from this team. Um, I don't know what exactly went wrong. I know Caravan was having a tough time defending. I don't think we played Klingon enough. Seven minutes, that's unacceptable for how talented he is and the fact that we were lacking size and shot blocking against Fremantle and Nunji. So I think just one of those games, stuff doesn't go your way, but they needed to play better. And I'll give it to I'll give it to Hurley. The um officiating was definitely frustrating, but the free throw discrepancy was their fault too. I definitely am going to piggyback off what Sark said with the three-point shooting. I mean, what did you say, 37 threes? I mean, at some point, I know they have two big um, power forward and center, but at some point, you got to take it to the rim. I mean, if somebody like Caravan or Andre is not going to do it, Hurley, sub them out. Get Klingon and Sonogo in there, and at the same time, if you really want to, you know, challenge Fremantle and Nunji, because – that's pretty much why we lost this game. I mean, sure, we didn't really draw a lot of shooting fouls. Mm, I wonder why. That Hawkins technical free throw off the flop was the only free throw until I think into the second half when we got our actual first shooting foul, which is unacceptable. I mean, if you don't get a shooting foul in the first five minutes, I mean, that's really unacceptable. But a whole half is even more uh, unacceptable. And I think that if we're just like we're a good shooting team, obviously we got we have guys who can shoot the ball. Jackson, I mean, proved a lot to me that game. You know, Xavier left him wide open. He made him pay a couple of times. But you know, Caravan, Newton, Hawkins, Aline, Callie, guys like that can shoot the ball. But I mean, you might as well just run out there with an all guard lineup if that's all you're gonna do. But I mean, really, I really hope that's the last game we take over 33s. Because I'll tell you right now, we're not gonna win any games by shooting 34. 37 40 three-pointers you know so I would just really like to see a whole different like game plan next game and no more shooting over a million three-pointers yeah we also had a little bit come back to us uh, from one of the first few games of the season where we really struggled with our free throws we hardly got to the line in this game and if you're going to shoot four of nine you might as well just not even take them at all um, you need you need to stay consistent throughout the season with, uh, you know, your free throw shooting. We seem to have had it down for a little bit, but as it's going on, I mean, we've had shaky games here and there, but I mean, this one was just unacceptable. Jackson had two of them. He didn't make any. Uh, Hawkins was 4-7 from the line, and that was about it that we had from the line. So we really need to get back to, you know, knocking those down. Yeah, and I just figured I'd double down on this point real quick. Like I said, that amount of minutes from Klingon, is unacceptable and they need to go up. And I just want to make an emphasis of that. 
you know, common theme here, those three-point attempts. You take out the big men, Sonogo and Klingon, 11 attempts by the rest of the squad on shots inside, two-pointers. 11 attempts by guys like Hawkins and Jackson and Newton. That's crazy, crazy stat to me. Another thing with those 37 threes, our best three-point shooter, Jordan Hawkins. Any guesses how many he took? He took 37. You think he's taking 15. He took five. So there's other guys. Andre Jackson, he took 12 threes, which he he actually had a decent game shooting. He hit four of them, which I definitely is his career high. He actually had an excellent game overall, but still, he t- hit four. He missed eight. I mean, you're not going to win many games where Andre Jackson, a guy who's not known for taking or making threes, misses eight of them. And also, like you mentioned, the the clinging with the minutes there, Sark. Uh, this is a game you don't have Samson Johnson. He's arguably one of your better uh, inside defenders. Play Klingon and Sunogo together. At least try it. I mean, Xavier has two of the best big men in the conference in Fremantle and Nunji, and they both feasted. Let's see what they did here. Fremantle finished with 16 and 11, and Nunji had 15. I mean, Alex Caravan looked he looked outmatched trying to guard Fremantle, which it makes sense. Caravan, a freshman Fremantle, he's a senior all-conference player. But he just looked overmatched, and it's just you have a 7'2 freshman top 50 recruit. Why not use him? That's the game to do it. You know, you can say anything about like the shots, the fouls, the referees. You know, those are all components of the game that are either going to go well or bad for you. But I think the one reason we didn't win this game or maybe one of the reasons is because we did not have the intensity. I mean, that Cintas Center was packed. That place was loud, just like the Villanova game that we all went to. And, you know, we know how hostile that environment was. We were part of it. And, you know, we didn't have the intensity to win that game. And this is the game where I really started to miss RJ Cole, Tyrese Martin, Isaiah Whaley, guys who really didn't let the crowd get to them and played with so much intensity that, you know, other teams weren't able to play well because of it. And I I was supposed to make this point a long time ago, like a bunch of episodes ago, but this is what I miss about having a guy like Tyrese Martin, Isaiah Whaley. I mean, Tyrese Martin could get a wide open layup and he would flex on the crowd, get the crowd into it or silence the crowd if it's on the road. And I just don't really think anybody on this team does that. And I think that's really the one negative about this team is that they don't have a guy like Cole Martin Whaley who plays with a ton of intensity. And, you know, maybe maybe that's not this team. Maybe they just, you know, get the job done win the game and get to the next. But if I were to ask for one thing from this team it's play with more intensity you know I mean what California does to the crowd it's cool and stuff but I mean I wasn't the only one who got chills when RJ Cole took that charge and got right up in the student section to suffer when Tyler Pauly would go high five all the people sitting courtside after making a three or when Isaiah Whaley would like scream after getting a putback dunk and bang his head on the on the hoop right like I just I think this team needs more intensity and that's going to come back to bite us if we don't start to do that. You know, guys like Hawkins who hit big shots like that, get the crowd into the game, start screaming, start being like Hurley, you know. I just I think that's really the main reason we lost this game. It's not enough intensity. Yeah, one thing about being a number or a top 5 team in the country is that you're going to get the best crowd everywhere you go in an away game. That crowd is going to be electric. And that's how it was over there in uh, Cincinnati this weekend. And I forgot how frustrating it is to be playing a Big East rival, watching the game and seeing a crowd get crazy and be disrespectful. I forgot how frustrating that was. And I can imagine 
for the players there. It's extremely frustrating. And I, I mean, the environment was crazy there and I'm sure it got to the players a little bit. And what I want to see is just them respond from this and get better. And there's no better game to do it than the Providence game, which is coming up in a couple of days here, which is e- even better environment than Xavier is, especially with the way Providence and UConn fans feel about each other. So they really need to show me something on the road here at Providence. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to take a second to talk about Danny Hurley. Uh, I'm sure we'll get to him in a little bit, but I feel like the intensity he brings, you know, it's not for no reason, you know, on the road, every single timeout, every single big play, you would see him rallying up the guys screaming, yelling at him, just trying to get something going. But, you know, sometimes it does come back to bite you, which again, we're probably going to talk about, but uh, we need a player like that. You need someone like that on the court, uh, which we desperately need someone to stand up and do it. Um, You know, all the great teams in the country have that guy on the court who will go up to the other players stick it in their face and, you know, try and get them going, which, you know, we have a lot of, you know, more conservative guys that try to keep to themselves. Um, the most I've seen out of anyone this year is Calcaterra. But we, we really need someone, you know, and maybe even in the starting lineup to be able to, like, during the game, like, while out there, be able to get everyone going and make sure everyone's, like, straight. Yeah, there's ways to do that, get the team going. Something Andre did the past two games before this. He didn't do it this game, luckily. He gets the technical foul after nailing the three. I mean, Andre's the prototypical guy. I think he should be hyping up the team. He has all the energy in the world. And he showed it in this game, 14 points, 10 rebounds, 8 assists. Oh, so close to that first triple-double. We all think he'll get to at some point this season. And um, speaking of triple-doubles, we talked about the free throw discrepancy there a guy like Tristan Newton he had a triple double earlier this year versus Buffalo when he had his triple double he went 14 for 17 from the free throw line he kept on driving and drawing fouls in this game versus Xavier he didn't take a free throw and he only attempted two shots inside the three-point arc you need a guy like him I think he's best when he drives to the hoop and draws those fouls he's a good free throw shooter he obviously like I just said he made 14 of 17 in the game that's impressive we need guys like him to step it up he also had a in the stat sheet, he had a solid game, 6-7-7. Seven, and seven. Having two guys that can stuff it like that, like Newton and Jackson, is so important. And I'm just going to go through the rest of the box score here. There wasn't too much from the bench. Too much, I mean, like, minutes-wise from the bench. They had some solid production. They were in there. Aline hit two threes, including another buzzer beater to end the first half. Especially when he hits that to end the first half, you have the momentum, and they pretty much lost it right away. But it's good to see him in there hitting that shot. Diara was effective on defense again. He hit a three. Joey, he kind of struggled a little bit. He hit his one three-pointer. And then I can mention Klingon was barely played, but when he did, he played pretty well, 4-2-2 two, and two with a block in there. But it's just, we have the depth. I don't, I mean, we have the depth, but guys like Newton compared to Diara, you look at the game versus Georgetown, even the Nova game, they were pretty even in minutes. You could argue even Diara played maybe a minute or two more. I don't have the box score in front of me here. But going away from the success, the, the uh, formula for success that you had in the past two games and playing Newton a majority of those minutes, it just doesn't make too much sense to me. Yeah, I don't really understand all of the limited minutes. Um, a, a lot of it just does not make sense to me. You can't have Clean, who is, you know – just as good as a starter on many other teams playing seven minutes off the bench. And in those seven minutes, he was 
uber productive, four points, two rebounds, two assists. You need him out there. He was in there when we went on a run, came back from seven points and tied it up. I, I, I don't see a point in, in having Sonogo out there if, you know, he's having a difficult time on these guys. You know, might as well have him out there at the same time. That way it takes a little bit of the pressure off Sonogo and you could have someone who, you know, looks like an all-conference talent at some point, you know, being there too. It doesn't make much sense. Do we really need Tristan Newton playing 32 minutes? Like, in my honest opinion, we don't. Newton's a great player. Is he a 32-minute-a-game player along with Sonogo and Jackson and Hawkins? No. Um, That would have been a great time to get Diara in there. Whenever Diara would come in, he would make a great impact, great defensively, great running the offense. It, it, to me, it just doesn't make much sense why you keep these guys out there for 33, 32-plus minutes when you have very capable players sitting right on the bench. And the thing about DR and Newton is um, DR's minutes have been going up recently because he's been playing some really good defense and he's been running the offense pretty well. And um, Newton tends, he's been having a turnover problem. He really has. And uh, he had some pretty rough ones over there in uh, at Xavier last the other night. And I'm finally going to get all this off my chest too. This is the last thing I have to say about the clinging situation. Rim protection was a huge problem in this game. Clinkin was in for seven minutes and he was one of two players to get a block this whole game. So that's my piece on the mismanagement of uh, Clinkin's minutes. And uh, I finally got that off my chest. I just really couldn't believe that we had a player who was obviously having an off game in Alex Caravan playing 20 minutes, you know, and obviously the Klingon seven, I feel like should be the title of this episode, but at this point, but, you know, I think what it ultimately comes down to is that Hurley needs to challenge these guys, you know, Adama wants to be a pro, Klingon wants to be a pro, Caravan wants to be a pro, challenge these kids to play something different, challenge Adama to play the four, you know, if he really wants to be a pro, he's an undersized center at six foot nine, he's not going to play, if he gets more, little, little more jump there, like Robert Williams, he could play center in the NBA, but, you know, Klingon wants to be a pro, Throw him in there for even 15, 17 minutes, maybe even 25, you know. Challenge these kids because they all want to be pros. And don't just roll with the same same old rotation, you know. 33 minutes from Adam, I'm looking at it here, 20 from Caravan, and 7 from Klingon. Maybe split that Caravan and Klingon minutes up or give more to the other player, you know. If you have to bench somebody like Caravan, make him go harder in practice to earn that spot back, you know. I just think that really challenging this team is where we need to be at right now. Challenge these kids to be better than they can be. Yeah, there's something with Hurley, and I hope it's not the case. I'm not sure. I'm not going to put words in his mouth here, but I'm hoping his reasoning for barely playing Klingon is, oh, he's a freshman playing on the road in a Big East top 25 opponent. He he hasn't looked like a freshman. He won the MVP of the Phil Knight Invitational. He, he's been one of our best players. So I just, I don't know if that's the argument. I hope it's not. If it is, it's just false. Uh, it's covering up something, but I just hope that's not the case. It can't be the case because you have the same situation going on with Alex Caravan playing upwards of 20 minutes in a game where he had no business playing 20 minutes. Uh, you, he needs to stay consistent with his reasoning and the, the reason why he does things, you can't be like, oh, you know, Klingon's a freshman. We don't want him out there in this big, tough match. And then start Caravan and play him upwards of 20 minutes. And he would have played him upwards of 30 minutes if he wasn't struggling so terribly. 
uh, that, that just doesn't make much sense to me. You know, a lot of this obviously has been negative. You know, we lost, but I do want to take a positive out of this. And it's Andre Jackson's three-pointer. You know, I feel like in that game, sure, he, I mean, he took 12 threes. Would you say Connor went four for 12, right? You know, there were some threes last year where I literally said out loud, why are you taking this? You know, he, some of his shots last year, you just, I mean, you knew they weren't going in. You could hear the brick from outside of the, the place. And I think in this game, although he only hit four of the 12, they were all around the rim. And I noticed that in the Villanova game too, his, his three pointers starting to really come into play. And if we know, if Hurley notices that teams start to leave Jackson early because they can trust him shooting the ball, revolve the offense around him and get plays where he's open. Because if you trust him to make those threes, then that's where the offense needs to be at. Um, I mean, he's, his three is starting to look a lot better than it was last year. You know, he was, he was pretty much there in that Xavier game. He had a lot of nice, good, I'll call him good misses. He was right on the rim. None were off by a bunch. Um, They were all right there. Same in the Villanova game. But I would take that positive out of the Xavier game is that if that three-pointer, all it has to do is start to fall, then his production is going to rise through the roof for this team. So is his NBA production. Yeah, and you you need a game like this for a guy like that where you come in, you hit four three-pointers. Uh, it's a huge confidence boost for him. You know, it'll make him feel more comfortable in shooting these shots. I feel like, you know, whenever he shoots, he knows that, you know, everyone's looking at him and everyone's thinking about, oh, like, is this ever going to happen? Or is it just like, is he just chucking shots? And, you know, you need a game where you hit four of them and, you know, people actually start to, like, feel that it's more normal than not. That way, when you're out there, you feel more comfortable shooting, you feel more in yourself, and you feel like it's something that you know you actually have business doing. So I feel like this game, uh, even though we we did lose, I feel like going forward there are there are a lot of things that will help us shape our team going forward that we took out of it. So you know maybe we needed a bump to figure some stuff out about ourselves. Yeah, one thing I just wanted to say real quick is, I know right after you lose, like we're recording this just a day or two after they lost, you get emotional. But and you know we all got a little angry. We all had our things to say, but. I this is something I keep saying on this podcast. Basketball seasons are long. You're gonna lose a game. Um, we're not in a hole right now. We're the number five team in the country. We're 14 and one. And sure, we're gonna nitpick because we have a high standard for this team. But the thing I'm looking for, and Dan Hurley said it himself in his presser, was that it's just all about how this team responds. Um, okay, you lost a game. Um, it happens over the course of a season. It was a bad, it, it wasn't even a bad loss, but they played bad. What are they going to do against Providence? And if they don't come out and respond, they have a huge stretch, three big games in a row. If they don't respond over these next three games, then then we could start talking about problems. But I just really need to see something out of these guys. Yeah, and going back to that, you said about how they respond to a loss like this. I don't know if you guys remember when we had Ty Polly on, uh, we were talking to him. He said the same exact thing. He said what he wants to know from the team is, you know, whether when they lose, can they bounce back? That was his one tip of advice that, that he gave them to see when you guys lose, how you respond. So, yeah, I just wanted to connect that back to what he said, and I, I want to see how they respond too going forward. So I guess we'll see. 
you got a pretty good game to respond to just a couple of days from now. You're playing at Providence for the first time. You're playing on the road against arguably our biggest rival with fans in attendance to rejoin the Big East because you remember the first year there were no fans at all, or at least for UConn and Providence, there were no fans because of COVID. And last year, the whole Providence schedule fiasco, we didn't end up playing over there at all. So this is really the first time we're playing on the road against PC with fans. So it'll be real interesting to see. And we're going to preview that in a moment, but I'm going to stay here. The Xavier game, a couple more points here. I'm just going to leave it at this. Shout out to Xavier. They're a great basketball team. It's not a bad loss at all. They're we're 22nd ranked in the country in the game. They're 18th now. I think they should be higher top 15. They very well coached Sean Miller. I mean, you saw in the huddle. They were showing in the huddle on Fox. Uh, he was he was just seemed like he knew everything. Knew, knew knew what he was talking about. He's a great coach. He has a solid history. A couple scandals in there. He's he's a good coach though. And I just want to talk about our coach for a second, Dan Hurley. I'll set I'll set the scene real quick. It's the under four timeout in the second half, seventy-one to seventy-one. Then Xavier gets a bucket, and then we miss a shot, and then Xavier comes down and gets fouled by I believe Newton. It was a questionable call, but Newton commits a foul, and then Hurley he's not happy. He's going livid, and as I believe it's Fremantle as he's taking the free throws, Hurley gets teed up. So then Sule boom Xavier he hits two technical free throws, and then Fremantle still has his one more. Because he has but got fouled, so he hits that. So that's four free throws in a two point game to cut it to six, and they couldn't recover from that. They kept on jacking up threes. That is unacceptable to get a technical foul at that point, and it's for petty stuff like arguing a foul call. Like, what do they do? Overturn it? Oh, Danny's right. They got to overturn this call. No, that's not going to happen. I I don't care if the refs are they're not great. They, they weren't great. They obviously there's some issues there. I don't know if you guys saw the Providence DePaul game. There was like five technical fouls and they accidentally ejected the wrong player and they had to bring the player out of the locker room saying, Oh, you're still good to play. It was a false alarm. So the big East refs, they're definitely, definitely a little sketchy, a little iffy there, but Danny, he can't, he can't take that technical there. That, that was the game. I mean, you can argue it wasn't, there were a bunch of things that went wrong, but that's something that can't happen in such a big game, such a big environment. Yeah, and I don't want to blame the loss on that. I'm not saying that that this is the reason we lost the game, but that is when we lost the game. Once that happened, it was kind of like, all right, you know, that was a crazy swing. I, I think it was a seven-point swing or something like that, and it, it was just too much and too little time to come back from. So, I, again, I don't want to put all the blame on this one moment. This isn't the reason we lost the game, but that moment is kind of just when, like, you knew things weren't going your way, and that's right after when we started putting up all those shots. Jackson kind of killed his percentage uh, by chucking a few extra at the end there, which he didn't have to. But, yeah, you have to stay composed as a, as a head coach. You know, you need to be the reason your team continues to stay in games. You know, you want to be the reason your team is winning games. And, um, yeah, I mean, you need to be able to control yourself in that moment, that huge moment. You know, it's kind of a tough situation here because, I mean, I love Dan Hurley. I think he's a great coach. I think he's the perfect coach for this program and that he sh really should not leave for a long time. But, you know, I'm not mad at the fact that he got a technical foul. I mean, he's gotten quite a few in his career. I'm mad at the moment that it came because, I mean, I, I do feel like that changed the game just because, you know, the crowd was probably chanting – something that we don't want to hear and then 
he gave him two free points pretty much because anybody can take those free throws, I believe. Um, and it just, it came at a really tough moment, but I don't, I'm not mad at him for challenging the call because I do think that these refs need to be kept in check because of what their history is. But at the same time, Dan Hurley's history with big East refs is not uh, amazing. We'll call it. So I, it's just a really weird situation because I'm not mad that he got the technical, you know, fire the team up, show them that you care about them. But I mean, at, at that point in the game, you just got to know better to just stay quiet because like Connor said, they're not going to go back and reverse the call just because a coach disagrees with it. I mean, we all disagree with it. All the UConn fans watching probably disagree with it, but we can't say anything. I mean, it's just, it's tough. Um, but I feel like it's definitely something that he's going to evaluate about himself and work on in the future. But I, I'm not going to say that loss is the game either because there are plenty of other things that we've already named off, but that's definitely, that definitely put the icing on the cake to say the least. But I feel like it's something that, you know, he knows that that lost, uh, or that was probably one of the things that lost us the game. So I'm, I really hope that he um, puts the players before himself. You know, he likes to get rowdy at the games and stuff, but still, I mean, he's got to know, when to shut his mouth and when to open it. And that was definitely a time to keep it shut because they, they were quick on the trigger there, but you know, stuff happens and I just, it's a learning experience, you know? And that was a clean play by Newton there. Like he obviously did get the steal and that was a bad call, but I feel like coaches should harp on their players that in, in a way environment, there's a lot of things that are out of your control, control what you can control. Because, like, like, we keep saying this. What are they going to do, Dan? Go back and change the call? And, obviously, someone needs to let these refs hear it. But, oh, man, that was just – it turned in from, all right, bad call, two-point swing. Then it's a four-point swing after they get the two technical free throws, and we're already down two with, like, about two minutes left. So, he just – he needed to do a better job of controlling what he could control. And uh, it was a bad call, though. I'll give him that. There was some pretty bad officiating in that game, and you'll never hear me blaming a game on officiating on this podcast because there was chances to win. But, yeah, that's just how I feel about that. Yeah, I'll just clarify it one more time for you guys from all of us. We're not blaming the technical on the loss. We're, we're blaming the technical on the swing of the momentum to Xavier's side in a two-point – two not two-point. It was a two-point game, a two-minute game, I meant to say. And I'll just have one more – one more thing to say about this whole Xavier game and a Hurley fiasco, and we'll leave it at that. We'll move on. I think it starts with accountability. You look at a guy like Hurley. He talks about Jackson getting back-to-back against the technical, saying, oh, he's got to be smarter than that. Well, Hurley, this is for you. you got to be smarter, too. It starts at the top. That's, that's all i got to say. And I think we're going to move on, like we mentioned. The game on Wednesday versus Providence, it's a huge game. The Friars are tied with Xavier atop the Big East at 4-0. Providence, is have, they haven't played the greatest Big East schedule. They beat Marquette in double overtime. That's their best win. They also beat DePaul. They beat up on DePaul, like I mentioned, they played the other night. Uh, well, let's, I'll just talk briefly about the Friars, the guys to watch out for, for from them. They have Jared Bynum, who killed us last year a little bit. He's their top returner. He hasn't done too much. This year, he's kind of taken a decline when everyone thought he'd take a step up when they lose guys like uh, Al Durham from last year at point guard. 
Uh, they also have Devin Carter, who really, he interests me. He's a South Carolina transfer, similar to how they had Justin Minaya, a South Carolina transfer the year prior, just a gritty defensive guy. I saw he averaged like 21 and a half points per game and like four and a half steals this past week. So he's definitely got to look out for it. He'll be on Hawkins. He'll make his night a mess. Uh, and also inside, they have a, a duo, Bryce Hopkins, the Kentucky transfer. He's arguably him or Sule Boom production-wise have been some of the best transfers in the Big East. Hopkins, he had a, like, I don't, I think it was 29.23 rebound game in that Marquette double overtime. So he's really the real deal. And Ed Croswell, he was Nate Watson's backup last year. He's averaging respectable, like 13 points per game. So they're, they're, I think we're the better team, but they're hot. We're, I'm not saying we're not hot, but we're coming off a loss. It'll be really interesting to see how we, how we bounce off of it. So I think we're each going to choose a UConn player to look out for. So any of you guys want to go first? Who's your player to watch for the Huskies? Yeah, I'll I'll start us off, but I want to say first that uh that Devin Carter is gonna play his heart out in this game because he had us in his top either eight or five when he was transferring out of uh South Carolina. So he's definitely gonna play his heart out against us. But my guy to watch for this one. And I'm really sorry, Sark. I know this is who you were going to say, but I'm going to go Klingon because he, I think this is really a redeeming or I can't think of the word currently, but it's going to be a game where Hurley tests Klingon, I think. I think this is a game where, you know, we get up early, comfortable lead, and Klingon's going to go, and he's going to see if he can really do what he thinks he can. Um, and by no means is this going to be an easy game. This isn't going to be a cakewalk at all. You know, Providence, um, I don't feel the strongest about them, but they're a real, they're a good team. Cooley's a good coach. I got to give it to him, but, uh, this is going to be a tough game, especially in Providence on the road again. But I think this is a big proving game, you know, I mean, the Providence have talked their talk on Twitter, all the fans, um, and I think this is really a game where a guy like Klingon can prove his worth to this team. And it's all it all starts with how Hurley rolls with this rotation. But if I had to pick one player to actually watch, you know, it's going to be Klingon. Yeah, I've been really looking forward to this game since last year. And, you know, the game hasn't even started yet. And I feel like it already has Andre Jackson's hands all over it. Um this is a big game for him. I remember at the end of last year when everyone was transferring out, a current Providence player by the name of Corey Floyd Jr. had some things to say that Jackson didn't really like very much. Uh, he went at it with seems like all the guys. I don't know what the seriousness in that situation was. Um, but, you know, I feel like this, this game for him, coming off a game where he hit four three-pointers, you almost had your triple-double, and you're really starting to – coming to your own, I, I feel like this is a huge game. This this is one of our biggest games, most important games for the rest of the season, I would say, at Providence. Everybody, you know, loves to go back and forth with each other about Providence. Uh, I, I, I'm really excited to see what Andre Jackson does uh, in, in this game. Uh, the guy I'm looking at is probably going to be Joey Calcaterra just because he's had a rough couple outings after a pretty strong start to his Big East play. And He's really such an X factor for us because Georgetown game, we don't win without him. There's a lot of games where he's just been that spark plug, been the guy to get us going. And uh, there's been some struggles in the games when he hasn't gotten it going. So I really want to see something from him coming up here. Yeah, and I got two players 
in mind. One I'll briefly talk about, Alex Garibay. We kind of bashed on him earlier. He's going to have another tough matchup today, or not today, on Wednesday against Providence. They have two bigs. Hopkins, the guy who had 23 boards in the game, plays the four for them mostly. So that's going to be kind of a tough matchup for Caravan. And I'm also going to go with Jordan Hawkins. I mean, he struggled. He only took five threes, only hit one versus Xavier. Colby Jones and Adam Kunkel were switching on them. They're both solid perimeter defenders, especially Jones. And he's going to have Devin Carter on him this game. He's arguably one of the best defenders on the perimeter in the Big East, along with like Posh Alexander and even Andre. So another game, Hawkins is going to be guarded by a very tough defender. I'm very curious to see how he reacts after having kind of a dud, only 11 points, which is below his average for Xavier. So I want to see how he how he reacts to that. I've got a second one to watch real quick. Uh, Hassan Diara has really risen up in the past couple of games. Uh, he's really improved since the start of the season. I've really liked his game, especially his defense and his intensity on the defensive side of the ball, you know, offensively. He's been he's been all right. You know, he hit a three uh, last game, definitely still struggling with the free throws. But, you know, that's something to be worked on. But I feel like if we really need defensive stops, then he's going to be our guy in there instead of Newton, because if he's that one. I mean, he had the four steals in the Villanova game. He had a couple, I think, against Xavier. So, you know, it's I think he's been really pretty good for us. And if Newton's not having it again tomorrow, you guys should expect to see a lot of Hassan Diar in the point guard spot. Honestly, just watch out for everybody. This is kind of <laughs> what we've been saying. You know, we're coming off a loss. Just, just pay attention to everybody out on the floor, and I think we'll, I think we'll be just fine. Yeah, I'm curious to see how he does the rotations, Hurley, after the loss. Will Klingon, obviously, he, maybe he won't. Maybe he wants Klingon playing seven minutes per game. That's his goal, but I doubt that's the case. I bet it'll be he'll play his normal 15 that he averages. And it'll be a fun game to watch. Win or lose, it's going to be a very competitive, old-fashioned Big East battle. Obviously, we want UConn to win. And I'll just bring up the AP poll real quick. UConn dropped from two to four. Not really a big deal. It's kind of what I expected. Kansas jumped us. Houston jumped us. And Purdue stayed at one. And side note, just happened about 30 minutes or so ago. Purdue suffered their first loss at home to Rutgers. So that means New Mexico, Richard Patino. Shout out to Vance Jackson, transferred out there. They're the last undefeated team remaining in college basketball out in the Mountain West. So it just shows anyone can be anybody. Obviously, Rutgers, they're a solid team in the Big Ten, middle of the pack, maybe even bottom half to middle. But they went on the road and beat number one Purdue. So in college basketball, anyone can be anybody. So especially when your one loss is on the road, I've already mentioned this, I'm reiterating, to a top 25 Xavier team, it's not the end of the world. And the Providence game, it's Providence, it's about – hour and a half maybe two hours depending on where you are in Connecticut I assume most of you watching are in Connecticut it's gonna it's a huge game I mean it's gonna be a lot of Friars fans you saw you saw the Cintas Center on TV or maybe you've been there I don't know you saw how epic that was Xavier fans sold out New Year's Eve it's gonna be double that energy versus Providence one of our biggest rivals and uh, UConn fans they need your support the Huskies I think you should try to make it out to the game if you guys are able, it's 8.30 p.m., so get out of work, drive over to Rhode Island. And if you use SeatGeek to get your tickets, tickets are a little up there. The cheapest ones are $99 right now on there, but you can get 20% off of that $99. You save $20 using code HBTH at checkout. And, yeah, like I mentioned, you save $20, that $9,900 ticket, $79, $80. It's 
Huskies are going to need the support. It's going to be a very tough environment. I'm speaking for myself. I'll be in the building on Wednesday. I don't know about any of you guys if you'll be there as well, but it's going to be it's going to be quite the environment over in Providence. So if you guys can make it, you guys should use code HUTH. It helps us out. And yeah, go Huskies. I don't know how to end this whenever I do the ad read. So go Huskies. And well, we have one last little, I guess, fun segment, kind of like last time we gave our New Year's resolutions. On Instagram, I posted a post for you guys to post your own and we're going to react to them. So I'll, I'll select a couple from the comments. Let's see this first one here. Number one resolution is mute the educated assassin. If you know, you know, I'll leave it at that. Uh, win the national championship. Obviously, that's imply that's the goal, especially with the team so good. Um, here's one I think would be an interesting discussion. Play zone once in a while. And you guys have any thoughts on that? Yes, please. I mean, make teams work to get good shots. I mean, it's pretty simple playing zone defense you know we all know how to play it we've played and watched basketball all of our lives so you know why can't they I mean if we're not having a great defensive game make them take shots because if we play man-to-man some teams with the big like if we play when we play Xavier I've got it circled on my calendar 25th of January at Gamble Pavilion be there Hugh Seakeek um you know if they're having a good game again play the zone because make them take the shots that they don't want to take. You know, they went inside a lot, but I would, I would really like to see that from this team, more zone defense. Uh, in my opinion, this isn't a real, this isn't a new problem. Uh, I feel like I've made it clear throughout, you know, the entirety of like doing this podcast that, you know, I feel like Hurley's X's and O's have always been a little bit shaky. And I always try to make it a point because at, at what point is it going to change? At what point are we going to realize, hey, we have a mammoth of a man in the paint who's seven foot two who f- would perfectly fit a zone defense just roaming the paint. Uh, I always bring it back to the Boston Celtics, but they run a fantastic zone with Robert Williams in the middle who's always blocking shots. And he doesn't block shots just because he's in the right place at the right time. The coach puts him in the right place to be there at the right time, and they know how to use him. I feel like just Hurley is just having such a hard time using Donovan Klingon for whatever reason. And if that doesn't change, teams are going to have a really easy time getting a hand of us, understanding what we're doing. Because if we're constantly running man and we have Klingon and Sonogo out there who aren't the quickest guys in the world – and can't guard the perimeter all that well, then, I mean, what's going to happen going forward? We'll see a lot of more a lot more losses like the one we just had. So we need to really focus on, you know, getting that down. Yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, I think we saw a little bit of 1-3-1 against Xavier. And if I remember correctly, I liked what I saw, and then we just abandoned it. So um, be interesting to see where they go from here. But I'm pretty sure they did run some 1-3-1, and uh, I'm, I saw Hassan Diara maybe make a good play in it. I, I think I'm I, I think I'm correct on this. I don't know. Yeah, you don't have to turn into Syracuse running his own every time. It's not middle school basketball. You play man to man in college. But once in a while, especially in a game where they have we don't have Samson Johnson, not saying he'll he's the answer, but if when you have Caravan running the four majority of the minutes against a guy like Fremantle or on Wednesday Hopkins and he really is struggling, go into that zone. So you don't put that much as much pressure on a guy who's 
not to say Caravan's a bad defender, but he could be better. There are better defenders than him. If you have a zone there, you have guys like Hopkins. He can't really take advantage of a lesser defender on him. Fremantle, he, I'm not saying he wouldn't have 16 and 11 like he did, but he may have slowed him down a little bit. And I have a couple more questions I'll bring up here, and then we'll call it for this episode. Oh, this one, Ford Jackson uses athletic abilities in the paint and not settle for just threes. And he, this person also shouts out guys like Stick, Stanley Robinson, may he rest in peace, and Rudy Gay. He's tall enough, strong enough, and athletic enough. He should be dunking on everyone from everywhere. And I'll, I'll open this one up to all of our slasher-type guys, like Hawkins, Newton included. I want to see them attack the paint more, even if it's just mid-ranges. Just go inside, make the defense, make a decision, either... Like, I could easily see, like, Jackson taking it into the paint, drawing the defenders in, and kicking it out to either Hawkins or Caravan on the wing for a wide-open three. I just, more ball movement in that sense, as opposed to passing around the perimeter, I think would be very beneficial. But yeah, guys like Jackson, he has all these highlight dunks, highlight plays. Most of them, the highlight ones at least, are in transition when he's isolated off a steal. He's the only one back there. It'd be cool to see, like, an in-game, not, obviously it's in-game. That's not what I'm trying to say. But an in-game dunk, like, with the defense set where he he posters someone. We haven't really seen too much of that. Even Hawkins, too, he has some bounce. I mean, I just want to see more from that. Even Newton attacked the rack, like I mentioned earlier. Yeah, I feel like Jackson's issue in the paint is his lack of touch. I feel like Jackson is going 100 miles an hour towards the basket every time he is. He, he wants to just shove it down your throat. And, I mean, like, that works. But he, he developed his little floater, which, you know, works here and there. And it's, it's pretty consistent. But the lack of, you know, touch around the rim, reverse layups, being able to get in there, use your left hand, uh, I feel like that really kind of hurts him, hurts his game. It's definitely something he's going to just develop over time, you know, in college and going pros. But, you know, for right now, it's, it's kind of tough and – um, just like for this last game, I feel like we had to settle for a lot of three-point shots because we were trailing for a decent amount of the game. And um, I, I think towards the end, we started putting up unnecessary shots because layups weren't going to do anything for us because we couldn't buy a stop. So that's just my opinion on Jackson. I think that tomorrow, Hurley should text Hawkins just Hawkins, not the entire team, and have him sit in a room and lock him in there and watch James Booknight's highlights because he needs to play more like him. Uh, Hawkins is a very good guard who's probably going to go top 25, I'll say right now, in the NBA draft next year, if all goes right, obviously. Um, and I just I think he needs to play more like Book Knight. You know, something I've noticed about him is that he sits on the perimeter a lot. We have guys that do that. You know, California, Aline most of the time, Caravan. You know, Hawkins, he's got to attack that rack because he has some crazy athleticism. You know, he's about James Book Knight's height, if not an inch taller, maybe. Um, but, you know, Book Knight was explosive. He wasn't afraid to take anybody to the rack. And I think that's what Hawkins needs to start doing, especially if we're not going to get those inside shots, if teams are playing really good man-to-man defense on our bigs like Sunogo, um, leaving Caravan down in the post where he can't do much work. You know, I think I love to see a lot more of Hawkins taking it to the rim by himself. You know, maybe Sunogo sets a pick for him once in a while. But I love to see more of that. You know, he's a flashy player flashy guard and I love to see that 
Yeah, we got one more here. Really a two-parter. There's two similar questions here. One says no more Hurley technical fouls, which I agree with. I mean, I won't say no more. There's there's times, there's rare occasions where you need a technical foul to really, really get, put energy in your team. If they're like struggling and they're like, there's there's times for it. It's very rare. There's times for it, but that's got to stop. And also this one, a little interesting. Hurley has to be a little more crazier. I don't know about crazy. You mean like his sideline antics where he's like flipping out after every play, like the pout face he always does. But if crazy results in more technicals, I don't want to see that at all. But it's fun. It's entertainment. If it's no no technicals involved, it is very entertaining when they show him on the sideline. But usually when he's pouting like that or throwing a fit, it's because something bad happened for UConn or they're losing. So it's fun to see, but it's not – if it results in negatives for the team. Yeah, I feel like that second one had a little bit of irony building to it. Uh, I feel like a lot of it, it was Hurley just needs to calm down sometimes. Um it's really hard when, you know, you're you're the coach, you're in charge of the team, you know, you're in charge of getting these guys good to go, ready, pumped up, and out there to win. And then everything, it seems like, comes crashing down. It's really, really hard, especially for a guy like him who he has a very difficult time, you know, keeping it keeping it able to, you know, not get a tech. And it seems like every game now we get a technical foul. So like overall as a team, not just from Hurley, from everybody, we need to be able to compose ourselves in big moments. Yeah, and Dan Hurley, love the guy to death. Great coach. He's great for this community. They're having a great year. Um, He can't get any crazier. I think he's the craziest coach in college basketball. The man is a nut job. You know, he's a lunatic, and you see that, what he's doing on the sidelines. And I think it's a good thing. It's entertaining. He knows how to ramp the players up. But um, it had to have been ironic because – I think everyone knows Dan Hurley is a certified nut job. Certified nut job. I like that. That's a good closing quote here to the episode 14. And I think I'm going to, we're not a hundred percent sure on a bar, maybe 95% sure. We may have a special guest coming on this week. We're not going to say who it is yet. But I'll give you a hint. His name was mentioned at least once in this podcast. So if you want to be a detective and go back and write down all the names and narrow it down, go ahead. But we may have a special guest. We may have an extra episode this week just for that. So look out for that. UConn, the fellow Xavier, tough game, big, big game coming up versus Providence to hopefully rebound from that. And should be good game on Wednesday. Hopefully, like I mentioned, see that game or see that episode with the guest. And then hopefully another episode even this week recapping the Providence game and previewing Creighton big game versus the Blue Jays haven't beaten them before. It should be a fun one at Gamble. So thanks for watching and stay tuned for future episodes.